back in the, I say the eighth grade, I actually, uh, I was in junior high school and my parents kind of lived close to the school. And um, I'll put it frankly, I skipped school to watch the draft. And I knew the draft was coming on TV and it was the 93 draft. And I knew it was coming on ESPN. I skipped school and I went to, I went home when my parents were gone at work and I watched the draft. And that moment, uh, I just got enamored with the process of scouting. That's when I fell in love with Scott. I just, they were talking about, I remember they were showing, uh, I believe it was Jerome Bettis just running the ball and they were describing the traits and showing the highlights and they're showing the general manager and they're showing the coach. And I just fell in love with the process up until then. And um, I always told myself back then that regardless of what happens, I want to say it was like even my senior year of high school, I was watching the 97 draft. And me and my buddy, we were sitting at a fast food uh, McDonald's restaurant and just having, just having some cheeseburgers. And I said, we had just got done watching the draft. And I said, I don't know what's going to happen with my football career. I knew I was going to college to play football, but I knew that I was going to definitely uh, get into scouting at, at, at some point. All righty. Welcome to the Back Judge podcast uh, presented by Dick O'Dowd. You had to do it. <laughs> <laughs> Our latest sponsor since Greyhound dropped due to, uh, you know, other issues. Insufficient funds. <laughs> uh, Lee and Tommy, how are you boys doing? Doing well. Uh, yep. Lee shaved his head. The listeners can't, can't see that. Uh, and, and I've got some inspiration. I think it's time for Tommy yeah. to go freshman year Crespi football B-team buzz cut. Bring that back. Yep. Uh, coming up on the 10-year anniversary of my my tenure as a uh, as an amateur football player, so it might be time to bring back the buzz cut. Looking greatly. Thanks, Tommy. Man. Our premium well, yeah, subscribers I, get video podcasts. I don't uh, I don't believe in haircuts. I think you grow out your hair, and then when you want to get it cut, you get a buzz cut and grow it out again. That's kind of my philosophy. I like that. Um, so that's where I'm at right now. I, I was I told myself. Um, and those who I care about that I would cut my hair when I, when I was done with the movie and, you know, we are done with the movie, honestly, probably would have been officially done more so when like I have a hard copy, but I got COVID and, uh, I decided to, once I shed COVID, I said, I'm shedding my hair with it. Screw it. So the real question is how much did your hair play into your acquisition of COVID? That's a good point. Probably a lot. It's something that Probably the CDC lot, doesn't man. talk about. Something, yeah, yeah, something that the, the you know the mainstream media is not talking about is these hippies with their long hair, like my little bro. You, you think if I had you think if I had a shaved head, I would get COVID? No chance. No. Has Jocko Willink got COVID no before? <laughs> um, but yeah, no, feel good, feel great. I'm excited. I'm ready for the. Uh, it's supposed to be 80 degrees tomorrow here, so. Wow. Probably put some shots up for the first time without having to worry about you know, getting a hair tie or headband or any of that nonsense. So I wanted to uh, bring up, I, I watched uh, the one hour cut up the NFL does of the 2018 first round. And just a few, few things that I just didn't really remember from it. I forgot that that fourth pick that the Browns had was also the Texans pick yep. for trading up and getting Watson. So now in a span of what, four, four drafts, the Texans have traded away a fourth and a third overall pick. 
Like I just I think that's like pretty wild that those picks have ended up like so high when normally you see a team trade up for a quarterback and give up a, a future pick with like we've seen with Mahomes and like I think we expect with you know maybe even the Colts and the Lions that that pick won't be for uh, until you know maybe the late late teens at the at the earliest. I just thought that was interesting, and then I had forgotten that the Bills had also moved up for Josh Allen and. It was just it was good to go back and watch that. Just so many uh, intriguing moments, and then seeing Mayock and and all of them just believe that Lamar Jackson was going to the Saints like wholeheartedly, and then Marcus Davenport goes yeah. there and just thinking thinking about the what ifs if if Sean Payton had pulled the trigger on Lamar Jackson there. Just just a lot of interesting twists and turns uh, from that draft that I had kind of forgotten about, and then of course Darnold going going third. Yeah, that draft. Uh was an awesome draft. Uh, one of the first, I mean, a draft I really got into. Uh, and I completely, I mean, Clep, you're, that's a great point about the Saints and Lamar because I remember when they moved up to 16 and they gave up a future first-round pick. I, I, too, was like, oh, my gosh, this is Lamar. Like, Lamar is going to be, like, some sort of offensive weapon and basically, like, a, the ultimate Taysom Hill upgrade where he's going to be used as an offensive weapon who's also the backup quarterback. And that's, a, that's an awesome parallel universe uh, to think about. And also, too, Saquon, Saquon going two, which I'm just going to make. I think that's the last time we're ever going to see a running back go that high. Um, I will be. I just don't think that's ever going to happen again. And I think he was kind of a, a lesson, you know, for for that for that philosophy. I think that was a huge huge moment in the the no RB I philosophy. <clears throat> It'll come full circle. There'll be some other stud who's just like the best running back ever, and like. 10 or 12 years and it'll all come full circle well think of it they have to go either one or two like i mean top five i would even go with two but until the nfl makes like until they reward running backs and make it easier to pay them like if there's some like salary cap exception then i just i would be very surprised if you know look at fournette going to the jaguars uh what was it the year prior that was 2017 at four, Zeke going a year, a year prior before that. So and McCaffrey went top ten too in that draft. Yeah, he was there eight. Were two running backs. Yeah, McCaffrey was eight. But then you see Mixon, Dalvin Cook go round two. Um, Aaron Job. Jones go five. Who else? Mar- yeah, Marlon. No, another interesting another interesting thing about that 2018 draft too is how the receivers uh, really fell with uh, DJ Moore and then um, I'm blanking Calvin on the other. Yeah, and Calvin Ridley. How they both really fell, and, and they've both become really nice players, and I, it, it just made me kind of go back to my initial thing when I talked about the tackles versus receivers, and how you know, a wide receiver hasn't gone in the top ten since 2017. So this is definitely um, a, an interesting year where I think that whole narrative will probably change, or not the narrative, but that 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 trend will will likely change. But let's let's get into the podcast, Lee. You were not able to join us to talk about sleepers. Uh, did you? Uh, you brought a list of your own slash. Um, I don't know how much of the podcast you listened to, but if you had any reaction to ours, feel free to. Read. Yeah, I only got to listen to like the first ten minutes because I was listening to it after I woke up from a nap, and um, I don't know. I just wasn't really, I guess, in a podcast mood. Um, ten minutes in, so yeah, I I was enjoying the beginning part of it. I liked. Clef, you went and did your research on that kid from St. Louis, the corner from, uh, from I want to say Ball State, maybe Antonio Phillips. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought I thought that was a pretty cool, you know, little tidbit there. I definitely enjoyed that. But yeah, I gotta I gotta give that a full listen through sometime in the future. 
Um, I'll just rattle off a few names here. Like I told you guys pre-pod, I went on the Draft Network's predictive uh, player rankings, and I tried to pick players that were ranked 100 or above. So I tried to pick guys who were consensus, you know, late third and later picks. Um, and the first guy on my list is, is Puka Williams, the running back slash receiver from Kansas. And this is just a guy who Kansas has been one of the worst, if not the worst, Power 5 football program. Um, them and Rutgers, I think, have probably been the two worst Power 5 football programs the past five years. And Puka Williams was just a guy who did everything for Kansas. If they were in any game and he was healthy, he was the reason why. He returned kicks. He played in the slot. He played running back. I just think he's a dynamic football player that probably will end up playing more slot in the NFL than he will running back. But I still think he's a guy, if you can pick him up in the fourth or fifth round, He's just a good all-around football player that can bring a lot to your team. Uh, the second guy is Donnie Corley, who Tommy brought up for me on the receivers pod. This is a guy who we watched in high school. Uh, was a very high-level recruit coming out of Martin Luther King High School here in Detroit. Stud receiver. Played a little bit of cornerback, too. Went to Michigan State. Unfortunately, got in trouble with the law and was doing some ignorant things. And he ended up having – he got humbled. He transferred to Texas Southern and kind of had to restart everything. And hopefully he learned a lesson from that. And if he did – I think there's some value there in the later rounds drafting a guy like that just because of how dynamic he is physically. The third guy is Quentin Morris, the tight end from Bowling Green. Um, This is a guy who I really didn't know about until recently, just kind of doing a little bit of deep digging on tight ends. And in the COVID-shortened season, he really stood out as one of the better small school tight ends and a guy who I think could be, again, a a valuable pick Um, after, you know, you see these top-end tight ends, obviously Kyle Pitts and then Brevin Jordan and Pat Fryermuth. And after that, for me at least, I'm not a huge fan of Hunter Long or uh, Tommy Tremble necessarily. One sec, I, I, was, those guys are... I would like to say just uh, – I forgot to mention it on the Sleepers pod that Connor Ryan has been a big Tommy Tremble guy, obviously, because he's from Notre Dame and has been mentioning him very frequently. So yeah. I think we'd be remiss if we didn't mention – Yeah. Because Tommy okay. Tremble kind of has a little bit of a hype train behind him now. So shout out. Yeah, well, yeah, I think that uh, – I was just kind of looking for, like, who's a name off the beaten path who can make some plays um, at tight end, and I found Quentin Morris. Um, and then the one I'm most excited about is Tommy Doyle, the offensive tackle from Miami of Ohio, another Mac guy. Um, kind of just a man-eater. Uh, he, was on, he was one of my duds. Yeah, he was one of Clips' really? duds. Yeah. Oh, man. Well, I, he, he played – I want to say he played hockey in high school, so that's one of the reasons why I like him. He's a tough kid. Uh, physical, and I think he'll probably project, end up projecting more as an inside offensive lineman in the NFL. But I still think he he has the uh, he has what it takes to play on Sundays. Um, Jared Hawker, the guard from Texas A and M, that's a guy who Turn on I want to say tape. He, he what, won't. Tommy I may Doyle have to, go, I may well have to peel Cincy. through the yeah. Uh, Jared Hawker was a guard from Texas A and M. I want to say he was a two or three year starter in the SEC. That alone is really impressive to me and. Uh, I think he can find a comfortable uh, little role on Sundays as well if drafted into the right situation. Um, Lorenzo Neal, the uh, uh, interior defensive lineman from Purdue, obviously the son of Lorenzo Neal, the, the uh, fullback. legendary fullback for the, for the Chargers, um, a guy who got, got off to a really hot start in his career and then never really developed as much as people thought he would. But I still think that just a big dude who – um, showed a lot of potential early on, and I think that there's 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 value there in, in the later rounds with him. And then I'm going to do a little three pack or a two pack here with linebackers. I got Antoine Simmons from Michigan State just because I had to shout him out. He had a 
monster game against Michigan. Adam and I played against him uh, when he was a freshman at Ann Arbor Pioneer, and he was just running back, linebacker, doing everything. The guy was all over the place. I don't know if he has the size to project to the NFL, but he's obviously a really hard worker and has got a great nose for the football, um, and I think that he can compete at a very high level. And then Charles Snowden, the linebacker from Virginia, um, a guy who I, I would compare to like Isaiah Simmons light watching him uh, play for Virginia, lean, long, six foot five linebacker who dropped back and played a little bit of safety, uh, really long wingspan, and kind of just has a good nose for the ball as well. Um, and then to wrap it up, I've got Brady Breeze, the safety from Oregon, um, who opted out this past year, but <clears throat> really was kind of the lifeblood of that Oregon defense uh, last year on their run to the Rose Bowl. Had a huge game in the Pac-12 championship against Utah and then uh, matched that with another really big game in the Rose Bowl against Wisconsin. Kind of seems like a coach on the field and a guy who's not going to be the best athlete wherever he goes but is a seasoned safety and uh, is not afraid to, to, to make a big hit. And then last but not least, um, a guy who I snuck in there. He's not necessarily a sleeper. I, have, I, have a, I really doubt he's going to go past round three, but that's Ben Cleveland and the offensive lineman from Georgia. He's just a guy who I think is getting overlooked. I think he should be a second-round pick at the latest. I think he's going to be a long-term starter in the NFL. And the way I see it, you know, some uh, mock drafts I look are a little more cold on him than others, and I think he should be right there in that category. Maybe not with Creed Humphrey and uh, Landon Dickerson. I'm not saying he's like one of the best, you know, offensive linemen in the draft, but I do think that he's right on the precipice there, and he deserves to to, to be in the in the first two rounds. So. I think there's value there with Ben Cleveland. Seeing him go in, in, in the third or fourth round in some of these mocks has kind of surprised me, considering he has experience playing a little tackle as well. So um, I think he's a versatile, dynamic offensive lineman that you can bring onto your team. He can do a lot for you. Um, so that pretty much wraps up my uh, short list of sleepers. There's a few more that I could talk about, but those guys pretty much took the cake as the ones that I wanted to mention. I... Uh... There's two comments I wanted to make, and I guess they're, they're the first guy you mentioned, the second guy you mentioned, or the last guy you mentioned. Uh, Puka Williams, man, is a guy who I've been starting to really like a lot, too. Um, especially, I talked about Kenneth Gainwell. He was one of my running back sleepers. He was, again, not really a sleeper. Probably he was going to go on day two at some point. But I think Puka Williams kind of offers like a similar poor man skill set to Kenneth Gainwell. Um, and, you know, Lee, like you mentioned it, running back, played slot, um, I know he's a little slight. I think he's like 5'9", 175, which is really light to be. Yeah, he's definitely small. But the thing that you love about um, him, and which I think you know, gives him kind of that BJP, uh, Cody Ford s mentality, is he he plays so much bigger than 175. He has you know mm -hmm. he fights for extra yards, um, which makes me think that like just based on that will, um, just he's a guy that you'd want to have on your team. I'm sure he could play special teams. But, you know, just has a, a nice change of pace back, third down back, and play a little slot. And then lastly, Ben Cleveland uh, is a physical specimen, man. He's, he's, yeah. he's 6'6", 354, ran a 4'8", 540. And you go on his Instagram, look at him with his shirt off with his, his lady friend. The dude probably like, has like a 12% body fat. It's insane. He's, he's yeah. like a, he is like a, a, a gladiator. Six six. You can tell by his Instagram too that he's gonna have a long NFL career. He's just one of those guys where it's like he likes to hunt and like yeah. he loves the police. You know, like he, he <laughs> he's he's the type of guy who's gonna have a really nice long NFL career. He's gonna he's gonna be on one team for like eleven years. <laughs> I, I was watching a, a guy on YouTube kind of go through some of his favorite players in the draft, and Ben Cleveland was uh, was one of them. So 
Uh, he's definitely a dude that I have seen. You get just get talked about as a really solid uh, prospect. Lee, wasn't there? I thought not Kellen Mond, but I thought there was someone from like Texas A&M that you really liked too, as like a sleeper. The linebacker. Um, oh yeah, that well that was uh, that was Buddy Johnson, oh, okay. the linebacker. Yeah, he's a refrigerator with with <laughs> arms and legs. The, the the guy just gets after it. Traditional football player. He's the type of guy who in the nineteen sixty three draft he'd be the number one pick probably, but. I don't know if he has what it takes for uh, for today's league. And then, <clears throat> since you brought up Texas A&M, my man Jalen Weidermeyer is going to be in next year's draft class, the tight end. I think he's probably going to be the best tight end in the draft class next year. He he really stood out. Texas A&M was offensively depleted this year. Um, a couple of the receivers are injured, and a couple others opted out. I think the four top pass catchers from the prior year weren't playing, and Weidermeyer really stepped up and had a huge year. So, uh Got to tip my cap to him. Um, well, Lee, thank you. Yeah, thank you for offering your sleepers. Tommy, sorry, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say one guy who is getting a lot of attention that I started, I watched a little bit of, and, and Lee and I talked about on the phone the other day, um, and is worth mentioning, is Jamar Johnson. Klepp, I don't know if you've seen any of him, this free safety from Indiana, but really popped for me when I was watching Justin Fields' infamous Indiana tape. He had two picks off on Fields and just has like a really special coverage skill set with his change of direction and his hips. and his smarts too. I mean, he baits fields into, I don't, it's not the sack interception, but it's the other interception where he, he makes fields thinks that he's like too overextended to fields is, uh, right. And that was on like that skinny post. Yes, I believe so. Yeah. And he goes, he goes, and he's like shot up. He's shot up draft boards. Yeah. Like, like a couple of weeks ago, he was flirting with like, I think a hundred on the predictive board. He was like 79 or 85. And now he's at like 49. Yeah. So there's a lot of buzz around him. So, yeah, no, I second that. I think he's a guy who could end up sneaking into the early or mid-second round. He seems like a prospect the team could fall in love with just because of his playmaking ability. I want to say he had like six interceptions last year in the COVID-shortened season. Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. it has been interesting to see some of these guys kind of fall or, or climb up a little bit. I mean, like a guy like Jason Oway, I feel like, has, has shot up boards and other guys like – Zayvon Collins were kind of fixed years in first round mocks, and I haven't seen him uh, recently going kind of in the in the twenty range, which seemed like he was locked into uh, early on in the process. So definitely, definitely a lot of late movement based on these these pro days, and I just think I think boards across the league are going to be pretty pretty different. Yeah, totally. Um, should we get into some some teams with the most or uh, most to lose or gain? Yeah, let's do it. Um, basically, bringing this back from last year, just taking a look at some of the teams that we think you know need need to have a, a good draft this year. Obviously, you don't want to pin uh, all of your your season's hopes and dreams just on your rookie class, but it's important to just to take a look at what teams uh, we think could really use a, a good draft to either keep a coaching staff around maybe put their team over the hump um, or, you know, even just set up uh, their team for the future. If they are in a, in a rebuild, the first team that I kind of wanted to throw out that I, I feel like could use a, a good draft would be the uh, Arizona Cardinals. Um, I think the Cardinals are just in an interesting situation as a team where they're very much behaving like a team that uh, is, is trying to win a Super Bowl now, which obviously you know, you would hope that that's what every every team's trying to do. But just making signings uh, like J.J. Watt, 
um, bringing in guys uh, like that and kind of making a, a push before Kyler is off his rookie deal. But then at the same time, they haven't made the playoffs in, in the two seasons with Cliff Kingsbury and uh, Kyler Murray. So this is a little bit of a put-up-or-a-shut-up year, in my opinion, for, for this whole kind of Cardinals experiment, if you will, with, with Cliff Kingsbury as head coach and, and Kyler at quarterback. I think that they really could use a, a solid draft. And I think... You know they're they're sitting at I believe 16. To me, if you're the Cardinals and a guy like J.C. Horn is able to get to you there, uh, I think corner is a is a huge need for this team. They also you know every almost every single team I find could use a little bit of help uh, along the offensive line. The Cardinals kind of more maybe on the interior, um, and then you can also say hey they could use uh, a kind of a jolt of energy at running back. Which at 16, I don't know if any of them will be off the board, and that would also be kind of just a a win now move obviously Tommy you would disagree with it but I just think the Cardinals are, are an interesting spot yeah Clep um I think I think the Cardinals are a really interesting spot I think I've talked about this in previous pods and I just wrote my first uh, my first draft article of the year did a little three-round mock um and I had the Cardinals taking JC Horn uh and and I you know Clep I don't think you said that you you know that you implied that you would be off Kyler Murray if it didn't work this year too but um, you, when you mentioned him and Cliff Kingsbury, but I, I'm completely with you in terms of like Cliff Kingsbury. I think this is, this is the cliff year potentially, no pun intended, uh, for Cliff Kingsbury. If, if they're not able to at least, yeah, make the playoffs. And I mean, that division is hard. I may, I don't want to give them that sort of ultimatum, but I just want to see a more efficient offense and just, I want to be more impressed with Cliff Kingsbury kind of through what I see um, through the year. And I and I guess ho- that would have to pretty much result in a playoff berth just because of how good the, the division is. But I think this is a team that really, I mean, yeah, it starts with that corner spot. I love Byron Murphy a lot, but they just have no, they do not have a lot of depth at, um, behind him. Clep, you mentioned the offensive line. And while the thought of a guy like Travis Etienne, who I think would be a perfect scheme fit for them, would make them really, really good, um, I just don't think they can, take that luxury right now when Chase Edmonds has been a fine player and they just have as many holes as they do on defense and offense. But Clep, I, I think that's a great first choice for the the teams with the most to gain and lose with the Arizona Cardinals because they need some help, man. I mean, I think J.J. Watt's a really nice player and a good signing, but they still have a lot of depth issues over this defense. And, you know, even like receiver too. Like I, I think A.J. Green is cooked. I mean, I could be wrong. He could prove me wrong this year, but – I think getting another weapon alongside uh, Christian Kirk and DeAndre Hopkins, obviously, Andy Isabella has been a little disappointing um, going into year three, not really more than just a pure pure speed guy. So I think the Cardinals have a lot of interesting ways to go, um, but I would probably start in the secondary, uh, that second corner spot. Yeah, I agree. Not too much to add on there. I will say, though, um, <clears throat> hey, if you're thinking running back, you should probably be thinking receiver, too, because Christian Kirk is in a contract year. And there's really just not that much speed uh, on their offense outside yeah. of Christian Kirk and Kyler Murray. Like they're they, they're they're supposed to be kind of this quasi air raid speed offense, and there there's really not that much speed there. So if a guy like Jalen Waddle perhaps drops to 16, I think that might be even if J.C. Horn is on the board. Dare I say it? That might be too good to pass up for them, um, just because of the dynamic that it could bring to their offense. And it could make the AG, A.J. Green signing kind of irrelevant, where it's like, okay, if he's good, he's good. Great. That's awesome. We get another upgrade at outside receiver. And if he's not good, that's fine. We still have Jalen Waddle. Um, so, yeah, a lot of different directions for the Cardinals to go, Clep. But I completely agree with you that 
uh, and Tommy that this is kind of the cliff year. And th- this is a team that absolutely shat the bed last year. Like they let the Chicago Bears make the playoffs because they couldn't early in the year, couldn't beat the, the lowly Detroit Lions and Carolina Panthers. As a matter of fact, they got embarrassed by the Carolina Panthers. And then later in the year, they couldn't close it down the line and, and, and beat the John Wolford-led Los Angeles Rams. So um, a lot to fix in, in Arizona. And I think they're somewhat going about it the right way. They obviously are trying to win now. They're spending money. They're bringing in. And, and it's not like they're signing J.J. Watt because they expect him to get 15 sacks. They're signing him because they need a culture change in the locker room. They're signing Rodney Hudson because they need a culture change in the locker room. A.J. Green, they need some veterans to come in. Uh, to make that playoff Especially, run. So, too, yeah. uh, I mean, it came out recently, Larry Fitzgerald is, is expected to retire. Patrick yep. Peterson it has left the building. I mean, those are two guys that have been on your team uh, forever. So just kind of a team at a crossroads a little bit, but also weird somewhat of, a, from an, of an expectation to to win now. So I just thought that they were kind of an interesting team to highlight. Yeah, and, yeah. and one thing, I last thing I would just like to add, because uh, it's just more so a lot of the conversation that I'm hearing out here on the West Coast in Tinseltown, where a lot of people are NBA fans, and they see, oh, J.J. Watt, A.J. Green, and, you know, they see Colin Cowher talking about it, and they think that this kind of gives it gives this team this veneer of, oh, we have these – these former pro ball players, but I think there's just there's a lot of whole and Rodney Hudson I think should be mentioned too. I I really like what they've done, what um, Steve Kime has done in terms of though getting those type of players, but there still is a lot more work that needs to be done to get this team a little bit deeper and, and more complete going into the fall. You boys just see this text from Sark. Wow, oh. live reaction. Is this official? I'll, I'll hop on and check, but supposedly Sam Darnold to yep. Carolina. Filed the ESPN Jets trading Sam Darnold to the Panthers for a 2021 six and a second, fourth round, and second and fourth round picks in 2022. Wow. wow. Baby, look at that. Happening Our boy is free. Our boy is free. Our boy is free. He's free. Look at that. I mean, that's a Tommy Murray move of the century. The Joe Brady big brain Sam Darnold acquisition, dude. What wow. what a landing That's spot awesome. outside of San Francisco. This is the best landing spot I I thought for Darnold. Even and Lee, we talked about this what last week about Denver versus Carolina. I think just kind of the yep. idea of Darnold being on Carolina where to Denver where the talent might be a little bit better on Denver in terms of receiving, but being in the Joe Brady system, um, man, this is this is really exciting. And I mean, Sam Darnold is is hey, is uh, upgrade I will over say Teddy too, Definitely an upgrade, and I will say. Carolina, it looked like, was gearing up to get Deshaun and was making some moves along the offensive line. I'm not going to say they should do it. It's definitely going to be a, a draft room conversation. But who's to say they're not going to draft a, a Devonta Smith or a Jalen Waddell if they're available there at the ninth pick? Because obviously quarterback is now off the table. It's going to be, I think it's going to come down to either Slater or one of the linemen, or you're going to get another receiver to, to pair with DJ Moore and, uh, and uh, Robbie Anderson. So, Really exciting live reaction there for Darnold, man. Our boy is free. I'm really excited. That, that's awesome, and, man. I feel really good for Sam. I wish and him the Lee, best. I mean, you. I just, I just think about, uh, you know, you talked about the tackles too. Getting a guy like Rashawn Slater who could play tackle or guard for there, where there's, a, there's a, you know, uh, potential need. And I mean, obviously, a lot of the narrative seems to be that Kyle Pitts uh, will not be there. But I always loved mocking me some Kyle Pitts to Carolina at eight. Um, you know, just giving them DJ Moore, Robbie Anderson, and Kyle Pitts, who can effectively play slot, play tight end. Um, just, uh, yeah, this is just, this is great. And it, it makes me want to gobble up some Carolina to win the NFC South tickets. I'll tell you that right now, because yeah. New Orleans is going to be worse. 
Tampa Bay is going to be is going to be overrated in the market. I'm not saying they're overrated, but a lot, Tampa Bay is already just there. Everyone's like, oh, they're just going to be better, and they're going to go back to back. But uh, I think I think there's some serious value on Carolina to win the NFC South. Man, they're probably going to be what plus 600 to plus 800. I I, I like that. I'm just I'm just happy Darnold's out in New York. I'm happy it's official that the Jets are moving on, and I'm happy that he's somewhere where a team wants him, and he's going to have a little bit more to work with. And you got to believe Matt Rule um, is going to do wonders for him in comparison, obviously, to to what he's been dealing with the past couple of years. Um, but if we if you'll let us move on here, um, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw out a team that I think I'll go on a limb and say they have the most out of any team to, uh, to, to gain and lose in this year's draft, and that's the Baltimore Ravens. Um, and this is a team that we've seen them target receivers in this offseason, and quite frankly, no receivers wanted to go to Baltimore. Uh, Juju turned down the offer to go back to Pittsburgh of more money. T.Y. Hilton turned down more money to go back to Indianapolis. They couldn't wrangle Galladay. And it's starting to seem like, hey, I mean, if you're a receiver, why would you want to go to Baltimore? It doesn't really seem like it's a very fruitful um, opportunity for you to, 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 to show your skills. Um, so this is a team that needs to hit and hit hard in this draft. We saw them get, have their 14 or 15 win season a couple years ago. They make the playoffs last year, still no playoff success. And this is kind of the year now where, uh, I want to say, yeah, it's Lamar's contract year and, and you still don't really have any weapons on offense and you really need to kind of have another great draft. I thought they had a really good draft last year. I think you have another, you have to have another great draft in order to continue to compete in this division. Because if you have a few bad picks in rounds one through three, <clears throat> this is a team that can quickly fall behind in this division uh, with Cleveland, Cincinnati getting a lot better, I think, this year in the draft. So um, I think the Ravens need to figure out how they're going to approach getting another pass catcher and shoring up their offensive line a little bit and adding some uh, pieces in the secondary on defense to stay consistent that way um, because this is a Ravens team that I believe, and you guys can push back if you want, I, th- I think this team is slipping a little bit right now, and, and I think that they need to kind of act quickly and, and intelligently in order to, to push back against that. They, they also lost their boy uh, Judon. They did. That's right, yeah. So they got I mean, to replace him, There's a whole lot of pass rusher there and, as well. And uh, it seems that Orlando Brown is going to be out of the building in the coming weeks as well, too, which is even another a, a big loss at right tackle for them. Um, yeah, Lee, I think I think they're you know a, a great team to point out. I, I'm kind of a fan of them. We talked about Arizona before. I, I kind of was flirting with the idea of an Arizona trade back because they're, they really are lacking a lot of draft. I think they only have like four draft picks, maybe five draft picks. Uh, yeah, they have like a first, second, fifth, and seventh or something like that. Yeah, and trading with Baltimore so Baltimore could come up and get a receiver. Uh, and, and I don't really know what the you know the NFL's consensus is going to be on Rashad Bateman. I know he had a nice pro day running 4-3-8 or whatever it was, but he seems to be kind of up and down with his you know kind of disappointing 2020. Um, I think that would be a great – that would be a perfect fit for me, Rashad Bateman. A guy, they need a guy who can go outside. Um, you know, as much as I'd love a, a Rondell Moore, Elijah Moore um, – type player to attack the middle. They just have no threat on the outside, and Mark Andrews really does a lot of that. And Lee, we talked about Devin Duvernay before. So I think yeah. if they were able to get their hands on a Rashad Bateman um, in some sort of trade-up or if he were to fall to, to 20, uh, you know, 27, I, I think that would be a great, especially over a guy like Terrence Marshall, who I think think is getting a lot of first-round buzz now too um, from LSU. So, uh, Lee, I think that's yeah. a good point. I just don't believe Bateman's going to be there. So I think yeah. they need to make a move if they want to get him. Because I really do think they need to get another 
outside guy. They can't. They have Hollywood. I think Hollywood's good. Like he's gonna do. He, he's gonna do what he does in the slot. You need to get a guy who can win 50-50 balls. Um, and and quite so you frankly, even the Sammy Watkins signing is what you're saying. Oh God, no! I don't believe in the Sammy Watkins signing. No, I forgot. Honestly, I forgot that he even signed there. Sammy Watkins, uh, shout out, shout out, Sammy Watkins. Um, but yeah, no, I think, I, I think it yeah. should. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> we got we got the live Darnold trade reaction, and we got the live uh, young lady putting sugar in her coffee during the during the podcast here. Um, but yeah, no, I I think that it should strike fear into the Ravens that these none of these receivers, you know, obviously Sammy Watkins is Sammy Watkins, but you couldn't get a, a high level receiver to sign with you just based off the fact that you are a perennial AFC North champion the past couple of years. You have a star quarterback, you know, supposedly. Um, so you know, I think that they should definitely be a little worried by the fact that T. Y. Hilton turned down more money to go back to Indianapolis. And T.Y. Hilton is a guy who seemingly was kind of disgruntled in Indianapolis last year. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't know. they gotta, they got to do something to, to try to shore that up. And, and, Tommy, maybe perhaps moving up in the draft to get a guy like Bateman is, is the ticket for them. But uh, we'll, we'll see. Tommy, do you have a squad? Yeah, uh, we talked about it pre-pod, and I'm going to just – I've talked about them in multiple pods, and, and now that the Darnold news is broke, I think it's even more prudent. Uh, it's the Denver Broncos. Uh, the Denver Broncos need to trade up to number four and get a quarterback if Atlanta's willing to do it, or even if they are the Mac Jones team now. If, if, if Jones is to fall to them at nine, um, you know they just need to be incredibly proactive about getting a new quarterback. Um, I think Trey Lance or Mac Jones, as they stand now, would be upgrades over Drew Locke. So. And you, know, you go through this team... Um, I guess right tackle would be a little bit of a need, but their offensive line has been really solid, especially after the resurgence of, of Garrett Bowles. Isn't Juwan James back? This is confusing me, people yes. saying that. So they have Bowles and Juwan James. and Those guys are both like 26 and pretty good, right? Yep, Juwan James was injured in 2019, and then he was an opt-out last year. He was an opt-out, that's right. Yeah, yeah. So but he's back now. He's back. Maybe it's just some recency bias, but he signed that he signed that big contract, and then, like you said, Klepp was injured in 19 and opted out. I just haven't seen him. Um, but, I mean, yeah. yeah, I mean, that's even better. But their interior, their offensive line, getting Glasgow, Lloyd Cushenberry was a nice – uh, played nice as a rookie at center, and then Dalton Risner, who we all loved, talking about that 2019 uh, draft, and then the pass catching group is just—I mean, Jerry Judy—they're they truly a quarterback away. They're quarterback we're, away. We're, we're a broken record. We but. are. Yeah, actually, inside linebacker probably is the only thing where they are. You know, they got Lee's boy Josie Jewell and Alexander Johnson, who I'm not very familiar with, but that's really. Um, Josie Jewell is still starting. He's still starting. That's the extent of their inside linebackers. But, I mean, guys, listen to this. The secondary, uh, Duke Dawson, Kyle Fuller, Ronald Darby, those are your corners. Um, and you got Bryce Callan there as well and Michael Ojemudia. And then you have Kareem Jackson and Justin Simmons as your safeties. I mean. You have Piemont too. Yeah, and, and Piemont. How could I forget? And Piemont. I, I, always find, I always find myself disrespecting Parnell Motley, Parnell Motley every single time I, I open up this, uh, this Skype recorder. So. Yeah, I mean, what do you think? What do you think for the Broncos? I mean, what do you think the Panthers news does for them? Because you know they were kind of sitting behind the Panthers. Now, do you think they? Do you think it's an All advantage the for them? Because do you think it's an advantage for them? Because maybe they won't be in a bidding war with with the Panthers to move up a little bit, or I, they're excited because they think someone will fall to them. Well, it depends. I think it depends on the market for Atlanta and what Atlanta is trying to do. 
Um, I've been saying that I want Atlanta to draft a quarterback, but it seems like they've they've pushed a lot of Matt Ryan's money down the line. It seems to be like they're kind of stuck with Matt Ryan for at least two to three years. So the report today was that they're they're looking to trade down. Like that's an official report. Okay. Well, that's even that makes even more. I mean, yeah, that's not surprising at all. In Denver, Denver, you have to believe Denver already had the leg up on Carolina, obviously, just because yes. you know Atlanta doesn't want to make those dealings in their inner division, and. Uh, I think I don't know. I I think Denver should be scared by this news of, of Darnold. Denver Denver should have been the team to get Darnold. We were saying this. I mean, Carolina and Denver were the two teams. Denver was the team that we all thought uh, should have been the aggressor to get Darnold. And at this point, you're left with Drew Locke. And if you don't want Drew Locke to be your starting quarterback, then you need to trade with Atlanta. And you need to tra- you need to over trade. You're gonna be you're gonna get the short end of the stick um, unless you get a franchise quarterback. Of course, you're not getting the short end of the stick. But in terms of like what you're giving up to what you're getting um, draft capital wise, you're going to have to give up, you know, more than you're comfortable giving up to, to move up just historically based on what it takes to get into the top five, to get a quarterback. But and, I think Denver should be calling Atlanta right now. Yeah. And I think, I think they shouldn't be, too, I mean, obviously that's a big move to make, but I think they should feel comfortable about making that move because what other choice do you have? Because this team even with a Drew Locke or a Brett Ripien, who we saw beat the Jets last year, and they got Jeff Driscoll, like this team, I f- I feel like is too good to really hit Brock bottom. And maybe, you know, again, Drew Locke, the Drew Locke experience is is something else. But I just think get you know, obviously, and I mean, it maybe it becomes an interesting question of Mac Jones versus Trey Lance. Who is better? You need to upgrade for you need an upgrade from Drew Locke right now, and Mac Jones probably is more pro-ready than Trey Lance is right now. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think what it comes down to for the Broncos, it's like you have to like two of the three of Mac Jones, Trey Lance, or Justin Fields. Yeah. You have to like you have to like at least two of those three guys, um, assuming, you know, yeah, Lawrence and Wilson are locked in at, at one and two. The draft kind of starts there at three. And if you're sitting at four, you have to be prepared for the Niners to take who you have as your number one rated quarterback behind Wilson and Lawrence. And who's to say they may have Lawrence as their fifth rated guy, right? Yeah. But it's like you have to be ready to be okay with, you know, Lance Wilson, or I'm sorry, Lance uh, Fields or Mac Jones. Yeah, I compl- Clep, I completely forgot about. I was just assuming again that the Niners are going to take Justin Fields, but and I was about to make an argument about, oh well, you know, if you kind of value Lance has a higher ceiling than Mac Jones, but Mac Jones might give us a better chance to win in twenty twenty one. Maybe we can stick at nine, and if someone trades up to take one of those quarterbacks, then then we can become aggressive and you know ultimately give up less capital in order to really secure an option that we're comfortable with either way. But if I mean, to me, if Justin Fields, that's why you need to go up and get four, because if Justin Fields falls, then great, you get to take him. And if not, then you get to take your second option, um, whether that be Mac Jones or, or Trey Lance. Or, you know, maybe Trey Lance is the guy at three, who knows. So I guess, yeah, the, this this discussion has made me, you can't really take the risk, I think, and you have to give up the first next year of, you know, one 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 nine this year second, and a one and two next year probably at the least to... To move up five spots. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, I, th- this should strike fear in them, though. I think, because it's almost like that little safety blanket that you th- that was always kind of in the corner of your eye is gone now, and 
you, the reality is that the quarterback market for you looks like Drew Locke and you know whoever the heck else is available. I guess Deshaun Watson, if he sheds all these civil suits he's got you know hanging over his head, um, but that doesn't really seem like it's going to happen anytime soon. So right now it's Drew Locke or whoever you draft. And as of right now, at the ninth spot, you, I, I'm not comfortable there assuming I'm going to get anybody. Um, so I think they need to get proactive and they need to make a move to get up to four or five uh, to try to get a quarterback. And if, whether it be Lance, Fields, Jones, whoever, it doesn't really matter. As long as you think those guys are any of those guys are better than Drew Locke, then you need to go make that move. Um, at the very least, to to have a quarterback battle during camp, like so that you're not just handing Drew Locke the job again on a silver platter. Yeah, and I mean, I even to a certain extent, I guess if you're the Broncos, you should still be concerned about the Panthers moving back. I mean, who, who's to say that the Patriots or the football team or the Bears don't want to jump up to eight if, you know, a quarterback's sitting there and the Panthers might want to recoup some value that they gave up for, for Sam Sam Darnold. I mean, yeah. you got to be ready for, for all these scenarios. And I guess just by jumping up to four, you you eliminate the risk. But then you are, are, I guess, you are leaving yourself liable to just taking whoever's there based on your, your quarterback rankings. But um, any, any other quick, quick teams, maybe a little rapid-fire round? I, I want to say the easy one, which is the Jacksonville Jaguars. I think this is like a turning of the page in Jacksonville. And even if you erase the Trevor Lawrence pick, still picking 24th, 32nd. Um, and then, you know, I think they have a few more picks down the line. But having that first pick in every single round – they really got to hit, you know, over 60%, I think, on these picks in order to really push this new regime in. I think the AFC South is vulnerable a little bit right now, um, and I think Jacksonville can take advantage of that if they do bring in um, some talent around Trevor Lawrence. I believe, I, I really believe in Urban Meyer, obviously, honestly, as a football coach, um, and I think that this draft could potentially be huge for just turning the page in, in Jacksonville being kind of like outside of 2017, historically just like, the laughing stock of, of the AFC South. Yeah, Lee, I think that's a great point. Um, they have holes all over their roster, really, except for, you know, quarterback. And they have, a, I mean, they have a really nice group of pass catchers right now. And then James Robertson, I think uh, DJ Chark, LaVisca Chenault, and now Marvin Jones. I think that's a really solid group of, of pass catchers for for Trevor Lawrence. They probably, I would not be shocked if, if Pat Fryermuth was the first pick of the second round. They could use a tight end. I think Jeff Swims are starting tight end right now, but have needs at corner, have needs, you know, in, in the secondary at safety. I think there's a lot of, you know, edge rusher, another guy opposite Josh Allen. I know they drafted Caleb. They did sign, uh, what's his name, from Seattle, the corner. Oh, Shaquille, Shaquille Griffin. Griffin. Yep, that's a good point. Yeah, yeah. I forgot about that. So, yeah, maybe. Everybody said at corner, they could, use a, they could use a safety. Yeah, that's, you know, Morig maybe at 25. Um, Probably a D tackle, too, like a guy like Barmore yeah. maybe if he falls to Klep, 25. Klepp and I's little crush, Taven Bryan, hasn't really hit the ground running like we thought uh, <laughs> like we thought he would. Um, yeah. Thought he was the next Watt. We really thought. Okay. We, we, we saw. We had visions of Watt there. Um, yeah, there was something I was about. Oh, yeah, this is my, uh, my first future. Um, so I'm going to be placing a future on the Indianapolis Colts to win the AFC South, and I will be hedging with the Jacksonville Jaguars. Um, right now on my book, it's like minus 115 for them to win the AFC South, which is the Colts. Yeah. The Colts, which is a hefty yeah. price, but it's really a, a Titans fade. And then I think you can hedge with the Jaguars who are plus 650 right now. Um, 
to that thing sink. Yeah, yeah. So you can hedge. So you're basically the only way you really lose is if the Titans or the Texans by some. If Tyrod Taylor takes the Texans to, uh, you know, the promised land this year. David Culley. Yeah, David Culley and Tyrod Taylor win the win the or division. Watson. Hey man, Watson might sit up for him at this point. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, we haven't really talked about the whole Deshaun thing, but like, I would be, I would be, I don't know. It does not look good for him right now. That's all I'll say. And nope. and I think the NFL is in the business of of you know this is such a high profile thing that I do not think they want to be on the the wrong end of this in terms of a disciplinary you know narrative and them kind of setting a precedent where they've been a little murky before. Also could be like a low key learning lesson NFL thing where they're like, yeah, this is what happens. Yes, that's what this I'm is trying what to say. What happens when you speak up? Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like seriously, I, yeah. like, I, Deshaun Watson could never play football again. And like that that's I, I would be know. shocked if that's could... the case because he's a quarterback. I think just the fact that he's a franchise quarterback, I, you know, Roethlisberger had his his whole his whole thing, which is all you know, this the spectrum. Of- it was back in like '05. That is true. That is true. It's a different. It's a different world. Yeah. Um, the the uh, team. I also. I just wanted to bring up. Um, uh, oh, I think I, I think the Chiefs, man. I think the Chiefs are a really interesting team. Mm. I think for as much as we give, you know, them a lot of benefits of the doubt, I suppose um, the Super Bowl did not look that good for them. Their offensive line got a lot worse this offseason. You have some issues at receiver in terms of just depth. I don't really think they have like a possession receiver. It's it's Kelsey, I guess. Kelsey's your possession receiver, which works fine for them because he's an elite uh, pass catcher. But uh, I, I just think the Chiefs are in an interesting spot where last year you, you did take a luxury pick in, in Clyde, and you're now sitting with some pretty serious needs on your team all over the board. I mean, they could use a pass rusher. They could use a receiver. They could use an offensive tackle. So I just think it's an interesting draft for the, for the uh, Super Bowl runner-ups. Yeah, Club, I think that's a great point. Um, I mean, even more shocking than the Patriots taking Najee Harris at 15 for me, I think would be the Chiefs not taking a tackle at 31. I just think they, you know, kind of goes to what you were saying, Club, about how, you know, 8 to 10 offensive linemen going in the first round. I think they're going to be all over um, a tackle. I think they did a nice job. You know, maybe they overpaid Joe Tooney, but I think Joe Tooney's a really good player. Um, the interior of the offensive line, bringing in Kyle Long, it'll be interesting to see how effective he is, you know, having the year off from football, but was a really high-level player um, when he wasn't hurt. So, yeah, I think, I mean, the Chiefs, it, I'll give you guys a little preview of my uh, my, my article, my AFC three-rounder. I had Tevin Jenkins fall into them at 31, which I think would be like a dream situation. Um Creed Humphrey, you get Creed Humphrey in the second round, which again would probably be a dream situation, and then getting Amon Ross St. Brown in the third. I think that's kind of how you attack it. Um, Amon Ross can come in and be your number two receiver, uh, versatile guy. I talked about him on the Sleepers podcast. I think you know that's that's the type of draft I would I would look for from the Kansas City Chiefs. Very good, boys. Good. Uh, um, I had a few, just some some maybe some. Uh, fire round. Just thoughts. Thoughts have been going around in my head. Uh, I talked with Lee about this yesterday, Tommy, and I just wanted to get your perspective on it. I think it, you know, this conversation even you know has has a wrinkle now with with the Sam Darnold to the Panthers news. But I was just thinking, if you're the Lions and Brad Holmes, to what degree did Brad Holmes potentially screw up by not trading Stafford to the Panthers? 
and getting that eighth overall selection, having that seven and eight pick, if Mac Jones goes number three to the Niners, and then say it goes Pitts, Chase, and then like Waddle, right, to the Falcons, Bengals, and Dolphins, they all go pass catchers. And then you're sitting there at seven and eight with an opportunity to get franchise quarterback in either Lance or Fields of your choice, and then just taking Sewell. Yeah, or Slater. I mean, if if Carolina would take Sewell at at eight, um, or whatever. Or no, no they, you got seven and eight. You got seven and eight. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, of course. Like that that would be that definitely would look bad on Brad Holmes. But this kind of goes back to our one of our last conversations about what he thinks of Goff. I mean, why didn't they just take? Why do they view Jared Goff as better than one of the rookie? Like, why do they view taking his contract? I guess getting another first round pick. You know, it's like that's I that's why I think they're gonna they're not gonna draft a quarterback. I think they I think Brad Holmes thinks Jared Goff is is worth at least keeping around for this year and, and trying to give him a shot. Um because yeah, like I agree. Like why why would you not do it to Denver either and, and potentially getting um nine you probably would get nine and maybe even a little bit a little bit more. Um yeah. I mean I think you guys both would rather have Drew Locke and Teddy Bridgewater than Jared Goff with like what seems to be the connection that they have with Jared Goff and the belief they have in him with an opportunity to take, you know, you take on both of those players with an opportunity to take uh, a rookie quarterback, I think, more than, you know, taking Jared Goff and, you know, Jalen Waddell or, or Penny Sewell, I think. Which both would be fine for the whoever they draft next year. Like, that'd be great if they had each of those prospects. But, you know, I think we all kind of want to a new a new face of the franchise in Detroit. So yeah, that was just that was just an interesting thought I had, and then I also wanted to bring up uh, Jason Owe from from Penn State. I just like don't get it. I just like I'm really not yeah. feeling the Jason Owe thing, and and people people compare him in some regard to like Daniel Hunter, saying, "Oh, hey, these uber athletic guys can like take over and be great pass rushers," but it's like Daniel Hunter went in the fourth round. Like, you know, so I, I don't know. I just like Jason Owe, he, I don't really care that he's a defensive end and ran like a 4-3-40. Like, I just don't really know how much that, that matters. Obviously, his other athletic, you know, testing was, was pretty off the charts. But I just like would struggle taking a guy like him with the very limited sack production that he had at, at Penn State and expecting him. I don't know. I just I just think you're you're taking a pretty big risk. So, I wouldn't have him in the first round or even really in the second round. Yeah, I think that's interesting. I need to do more work on Owe, but I will say I think stat I mean sacks are overrated. Like I don't think you can just like look at sack production and, you know, say oh, he doesn't have any sacks. Like there's such a, you know, there's there's so much context that goes into a, a sack. Like and I know that's something that the guys over at PFF are are, are big on. Like just you can't, you know, just Clep, you could be rushing the passer. I could be right behind you, and like I could get the sack, whereas you did all the all the groundwork. And I think the thought in is, is on Owe, and this is something I would listen to Chris Sims talk about yesterday. He has Owe as his third ranked pass rusher, and and Chris Sims loves the these f the play up type things. That's his. That's how he describes like players and how many times they do that. And Jason Owe mixed with his you know his juice and everything that he has, um, you know, has a bunch of these sparks on tape supposedly and you know 
when you you again like you brought it up club like the the, the Neil Hunters like having molding a guy who's that raw into something like that I mean all of the elite edge rushers in the NFL with maybe the exception of like TJ Watt I guess are like insane athletes like Khalil Mack is like one of those incredible special athletes like those the real alpha ones you kind of have to have that built there's only there's only so much you can do if you don't have those physical tools and I also don't know because I didn't really like a guy like Montez Sweat coming out. I kind of felt the same thing about him um, coming out and was that 2018 or was that 2019? I, I think it was 2019 now, I forget. But And, you know, obviously we saw him have a really good year this year. You know, maybe how much of that was done was due to, you know, Chase Young and everything like that. But I just think, you know, if if you do miss on him and he is able to hit his ceiling, like he's going to be – he is going to be a freak for – the, the tools that he has, the physical tools that he has. I mean, he ran a four three eight or whatever it was. That's pretty. That's pretty insane from a dude who's six five, you know, two hundred fifty pounds. Boy, the Panthers traded a Easter candy basket for Sam Darnold. <laughs> what does that mean? Not not a lot. <laughs> there was nothing. Yeah. Yeah. A six round pick this year and a In second and fourth next year. Yeah. So the so the biggest thing you're giving up is a second round pick next year, and you're and you're getting a guy who, for all the bad things you can say about him, he was the number three pick like three years ago. I just think that's yeah. I think that's a great move by Carolina, man. I think that's a phenomenal move by them. And I and I will say it now, and maybe it's a little instant reactiony, but I I think that Darnold's going to be a long term starter in Carolina. Yeah. I mean, in terms, I mean, from him, like what Joe Brady is able to do. Um, I think it's just going to be huge. I think Darnold's going to have a really good year this year. Like, and if he doesn't, then he probably shouldn't be a starting quarterback in in the, yep. in the NFL. Like, this is this is his year. This is his year, really, to to put it all together. He's going to have the offensive system around him. Whoever they take at eight is going to be on the offensive line or a weapon of some sort. He's going to have McCaffrey. Like, I I, I do expect big things. Um. And you know, How about I, having Dan Arnold at tight end too. Yep. <laughs> yeah, Dan. I mean, Dan Arnold. I think they're they're firmly going to be in the in the Pitts conversation, but it seems like he won't get there, which is which is pretty crazy to uh, to think about as like a as like a fact. You know, that Pitts is going to be looks like he's going to be a top five pick. Really. Um, but you know, any you know, the thing about that is like, I think if if Atlanta does trade that, I think Pitts very well could be there. Yeah, I think it just seems like he won't now. But I think if realistically, I think Atlanta's not going to be picking at four. I think someone else is going to be picking at four. And if they well, don't, Cincinnati take Pitts, or Miami, and I guess Detroit, it kind of comes down. to I them. think my yeah, I think Miami would probably be the biggest threat in the top ten to take Pitts. But I was talking to Clef about this yesterday. I feel like Miami, like what they did was very calculated, moving back up to six from twelve was an extremely calculated move. And I feel like even even to do that for Pitts would be still be risky because it's like you still might not get Pitts and you just traded away a first-round Well, it's pick. risk. I think they, they are, have their eye on three players. I agree with you. I mean, it's a, what they did, you know, doesn't make a whole lot of sense when you just kind of look at it. They just have to view... My point was that they were going to take a tackle because a, a tackle will for sure be there. Mm. Because it's like either Sewell or Slater will 100% be there at six, and they want one of those guys, yeah. and that's why they moved up to six. Well, the same logic applies was, to a pass catcher as well. Like they, you know, maybe it's Chase Waddles and Smith and Pitts, and you know, 
Yeah, perhaps. Um, perhaps. Yeah, and then the Lions. <laughs> the Lions, they'd have to get past the Lions yeah. if he could spec both of those Well, teams. I just saw Dustin in the group chat say that he doesn't want a quarterback, but he, but he wants Pitts. So. Lions Nation Lions has better. spoken. The Lions are going to be ripping on a QB, man. <laughs> They're going to rip it. This is, this, is the slow, this is the slow, like, 25-day setting myself up to just be just horribly depressed for picks 8 through 32. And then to uh, take a take a little rip of uh, some coffee and some uh, Crown Roost on, yeah. on Friday morning to fire me up for, for what's to come at 41. Yeah. Kellen Mond at 41. Man, that. <laughs> Lee would be excited. I would be. I would be excited about that. Why isn't anyone talking about the fact that, that all this Kellen Mond hype started with Lee back in 2018? <laughs> Chris Sims had to have listened to the back judge back in 2018 when a little side, yeah. side Easter egg nugget of you saying, uh, Kellen Mond's your guy. Yeah. Uh, I'm excited, man. I'm really excited to see where Mond goes. I'm excited to see where Trask goes, Lee, even. Lee, speaking like, who, of, uh, who likes him that much? Speaking of sleepers, why don't you share what you think of Davis Mills? I think he's like Daniel Jones. It's my NFL comp. If you want, if you want Daniel Jones, who, hey, the Giants have invested their franchise into Daniel Jones, and they seemingly aren't ready to move on from him quite yet. So I think Davis Mills is, you know, less athletic, right? Not as he, he's let he well, he's got he's he's athletic, but he's got less like scrambling. pure like Daniel Jones. Daniel Jones hit like twenty three miles an hour on that scramble. Like that's that's like intense. Like that dude can run. Davis Mills, I don't think Davis Mills could clock any faster than like 15 miles an hour, 60 miles an hour um, in a straight line sprint. But I think Davis Mills is like, yeah, the way he throws the ball kind of reminds me of Daniel Jones. And I'm kind of surprised. The whole Daniel Jones comparison made me surprised that uh, there's like not more hype around him. Like he didn't climb draft boards like Daniel Jones because he, he has very similar mechanics um, in like delivery and, you know, I don't know. I like Davis Mills. I think Davis Mills is going to be pretty good. I don't know if he can ever really be like a consistent starter in the NFL. He he could be. I, I just there's just not enough on tape because he got thrown to the Wolves as a redshirt freshman, and then uh, after week or during the week one a game against Northwestern and kind of was taking his licks all year, and then last year he had the COVID shortened year and they went four and two, and Stanford was actually pretty good. They were decent, I guess. And, uh, and then he took off. I mean, he, I think he would have been much better served staying another year in college. But I think he figured, hey, I've got enough on tape. And honestly, I think he'll probably go in the second round. So may have been a good decision by him. That'd be it's going to take crazy. a lot of coaching for him to be, you know, I don't know. I can see a team like Chicago taking him and, like, trying to force his square peg into a round hole and make him, like, a starter week seven, and it just doesn't work. You think he could succeed, but, like, in a nice system with some weapons around him? Yeah. I totally do. I totally do, man. I think so much about these quarterbacks is the situation they get drafted. Yeah. Well, yeah, we can we can pull that. We can reveal the. I mean, I guess the the, the Sam Darnold Josh Allen conversation that we had too. Yeah. Well, that's what Clef and I were, talk, were talking about yesterday. Is kind of like if Darnold was to go to the Bills and Allen was to go to the Jets, how different would the situation be? Yep. Right now, you know. Yeah. What are, or Lamar going? I don't. To the I Jets. mean, like at the very least, I don't think 
I think the Jets would be in a very similar similar situation they're in now with Josh Allen, and I don't think they would have gotten as much for him in a trade. I agree. Because think about Josh Allen with Gase. Think about like the Josh Allen experience, but with Gase. Like everything we thought about Josh Allen up until this year, and then with like Adam Gase's incompetence on top of that. Um, yeah, no, just and then you could do the same thing with like Lamar and Baker too. Um, you know, I think it's I think it's a really interesting thing to talk about. I agree. So much of it is fit. Lee, I was going to ask you too. Like, to what degree do you think like Baker Mayfield? is like we've seen the best that he has. I think we have seen the best that he has. I, I disagree. I think I, I think we have seen the best that he has. I'm gonna be taking the Browns to win the AFC South this year. I think they're going North. I think Yeah, but I don't I don't necessarily think he needs to play any better for them to win the AFC South. Like he was very consistent in and the AFC North. AFC North, the, yeah. Well, sorry. Lee, the back end of he he was playing really well, like the the back half of the season, really like the back quarter of the season, really going into the playoffs. And a lot of it, I think, is the the scheme and Stefanski and like so much of what makes me excited about the Browns and like their you know their intangibles. And then I think Barry's an absolute stud at GM. Um, I I I don't know. I like I think it's going to be hard for Baker to to fail in that system, which is going to make his. You know, the aura around him, like, inflated. It's going to make everyone's perception of him inflated. Um, but I think the whole thing, Baker succeeds when he plays within the box of, of, of what Stefanski sets up for him. And I think he did that really well last year. Like, I think last year was what they want Baker Mayfield to be. Yeah. That's what Baker Mayfield needs to be. So I don't really think, I don't see him playing outside of that and them being, like, uber successful by him playing outside of that. Like, I think what they need to do and continue to do is to drill in him playing within that box and protecting the football and being accurate like they know he can be and not doing too much and not trying to play hero ball like he did his second year. So I think that we've – I think we've seen – like, Baker played great last year. I think we've seen him, like, what he can do. Um, so yeah, to answer your question, yeah, I don't really think we're going to see, you know, maybe he hasn't played his best game yet or hasn't had his best season yet, but I don't think we're going to see like much more from you Baker think, Mayfield from like a quarterback. You think this is like his like, ceiling. Oh, wow. This is his ceiling pretty much like what he's yeah, showing. Totally. Yeah. I don't think he's going to be doing anything insurmountably better than what he's done last year. And really and what's the difference he, between him this year and like his rookie year, you know, like uh, he's kind of, has he really grown that, he, that much? I think he. I mean, he was better with the football. Yeah. No, that's you know, that's just a good in, point. in terms of uh, turnovers. Turnovers, but he's playing within the system. Yeah. He's listening. He's not like an arrogant ass who doesn't take coaching. Like that's kind of what it seemed to be, at least for the first couple of years. Like he didn't take coaching well, and maybe that was partially the coaching. Maybe that was just Hugh Jackson and Freddie Kitchens' fault. But. It seems now that there's a there's a mesh there with him and Stefanski, and I think it seems to be a good match. And Baker doesn't need to be a top ten quarterback; he just needs to protect the football and be accurate, and let the and let the run game and the coaching win win the game. So, if he can continue to do that, I think they're going to sign him to a long term deal, and he's going to be the quarterback for the Cleveland Browns. And I quite frankly kind of expect that to happen now, and based I, on what I've so, seen. So, like, how much I guess do you think that? Like, Mac Jones has a higher ceiling than Baker does. Yeah, I do. I don't know if I agree. 
I think they're kind of similar system level quarterbacks. But I yeah, that's 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 interesting. I mean, Lee, you you had a first round grade on Baker coming out. Like I don't Yeah. It was and I guess that maybe a lot of that had to do with kind of his floor. Um I, I think Mac Jones has a higher ceiling than Baker because Mac Jones naturally protects the football better than Baker does. Like, so that allows him to just be a better player at his best, I think. Yeah. I don't think Mac Jones is going to be, like, taking over a team and, like, being a superstar in a way that Baker can't. And I think it's pretty marginable when you talk about the ceiling of those two players, like, respectively. But I think that Mac Jones, like, yeah, at his best – I think that he can be. I think he can be dominant in a way Baker can't at his best. Projecting that right now, yeah. Yeah. Cool, boys. Any 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 last parting shots? No. Colts win. Really excited for Sam. Colts, yeah. Super pumped for Sam. Big for. Uh, I forgot. I, I got him in Dynasty. That's big. That's big for my uh, my my QB two. Behind Russ. Tommy, you wanted to, hey, let's let's put you on the spot. You wanted to talk. You wanted to talk win totals. Yeah, I think right, I think where, we should do where, that. Where are we putting well, I'm putting you on the spot here. Where are you putting the with the Panthers at now? Um see this is tough too because we have an extra game. So this is another thing about the win totals this year is there's an extra there's the seven there's the week seventeen game. I, I'm debating just not recognizing it. Yeah. Um I'd put the Panthers win total at I put it seven and a half. What was it last year? Five? Five and a half? So you're saying eight, eight and nine? Like if you're going over, all they have to do is go eight and nine? I mean, I would take over. I would take over seven and a half. I'd probably set it at eight then. I think eight would be a good, because uh, then they, if they go eight and nine, then they push, I guess, whatever. I think, I think eight. Like, do you think, do you guys think that the Panthers are an above 500 football team next year? I want to say yes, because because what were they last year? What was their record last year? They were seven and nine or six and with Teddy Bridgewater, I, who they were they were uh, I think they were like five and eleven. Sam Darnold has oh they were five and eleven. Wow. Well, I mean maybe it was just like the Panthers. They were a great team because they always covered. They always were covering those like eight point nine point spreads. Um, yeah, I think they're gonna I think they're gonna go over five hundred. I, I do too, and I think. A lot of it is it just all depends on Darnold and his ceiling because I think Darnold's the second best quarterback in the division. Yeah, I agree with that too. So <sighs> thing is Matt over Ryan. Matt Ryan? Yeah, absolutely. I think Matt Ryan's trash. Really? They're straight up trash. I won't Matt say that Ryan, he's Matt Ryan was so bad last year, in my opinion. <laughs> I don't think he he's was so I don't bad. think he's trash, but I do think that Darnold has a yeah, higher ceiling. Yeah, but I mean, come on, like Matt Ryan has done his track record. What has Matt Ryan done, really? The past three One years. MVP. What has he done? One MVP. The past three years? That MVP is Shanahan's. Yeah. Matt Ryan, I'm tired of hearing Matt Ryan getting talked about in the same category as Stafford. Like, he's not even close. I know, but but realistically, Darnold hasn't done anything. Yeah. No, I, I, I understand what you're saying, Klepp. I also think it's hard for me to not really like this team when you factor in... Joe Brady, my boy, and Sam Darnold's upside. And it really is going to come down, I think, to Sam Darnold uh, and the turnovers and the boneheaded plays and like how well he's able to protect the, the football and ultimately, like we were talking about with Baker, play inside the system. Because 
and 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 you know obviously he's gonna make his do the improv improvisational stuff that he does and and you know keep plays alive which I which I like and I want to see, but I just think he's gonna have Robbie. He's gonna be reunited with his boy Robbie Anderson. He's got DJ Moore. I I would like them to add another receiver, a Curtis Samuel replacement. I mean, if they get a guy like Jalen Waddle or Devonta Smith, um, if Pitts and Chase aren't there, that'd be awesome. Shore up the offensive line a little bit. Get your boy Elijah in round two. Yeah, man, that'd be nice. Then he'd have he'd be getting Robbie Anderson and Jamison Crowder 2.0. I like that. I like that. Um, oh, I forgot. Darnold played with Robbie Anderson already. Yeah. And he probably was one of the first people to text him. Yep. <laughs> and their defense too should be like it seems. Well, their defense was young last yeah. year and played really hard, and I think that they're going to improve. The corner this spot year. though, too. Corner is still a disaster for them. Right. Well, that's that. They could end up drafting a certain at eight now. Yeah, that's the, the trade for Donald. Kind of allows them to have that freedom where they don't have to be so focused on quarterback. Um, I certain probably would, be would really if interesting I were, and kind of mess up the Cowboys potentially. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Well, and another thing too is. You mentioned the line. Like, I really did not – like, going out and paying Pat Elfline and uh, who else did they get that was just like a depth? Cam Irving, right? Yeah, Cam Irving and Pat Elfline. They, they're, I mean, Lee, you've been talking about their offensive line. Like, Greg Little, Dennis Daly, Matt Paradis, whatever, uh, Pat Elfline, and then Taylor Moton, who's a good player at right tackle. But that's, a, that's an iffy O-line, man. Iffy O-line. Yeah. I think they should probably get Slater, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. Or or they or they play roulette and they get a receiver and they hope that a tackle drops to them in the second round because of the depth there, and they can get a guy like I don't know like Eichenberg or like mm-hmm. Radons or you know I don't. I'd know, be I'd be much more inclined Spencer to uh, play roulette with the receivers. Yeah. Or corner too. Well, yeah. Then you can end up finding yourself a guy like maybe Rondale Moore in the second round. That would be something. Oh man. That just got me going. The thought of Rondell Moore in a Joe Brady system, taking that Curtis Samuel. I mean, he's better than Curtis Samuel. Like, I, that would just be, they'd be getting an upgrade. Yep, I agree. Um, Curtis Samuel was a dog last year. Yeah, Curtis Samuel was a dog. I drafted him in back, Judge. I, I've, I've, I've been a Curtis Samuel guy. He was, I mean, because he was one of those guys. He was similar to a lot of these guys we're seeing coming out at Ohio State with just like that make you miss in a phone booth ability and just a stud athlete. And you know, finally, really put it together, put it together this year. I mean, I, yeah, Troy. I'm, Pro- just, I'm excited because I'm excited because the Panthers were my baby, and and now bringing in the the Murray Bros. Love for Darnold. It's a nice little marriage. Team of team of the BJP. It's a great marriage. Great marriage. Um, yeah, Troy Pride. Troy Pride. Uh, I guess he played well last year. Fourth rounder out of Notre Dame. Connor's boy. Dante Jackson and Troy Pride. That's what you're looking at. Bringing in Rashawn Melvin. And you got Justin Burris and Jeremy Chen. I don't think Dante Jackson and, and Troy Pride are preventing you from just bringing in Sertain. Yeah. I like that pick a lot for them, potentially. Yeah. Yeah, Sertain or Slater? Who are you taking at eight? I think I'd probably just take Slater. Yeah. Don't need a, don't need Darnold seeing ghosts out there. Yeah, completely. Yep. completely. It's the safest move. Yeah. Yep. Get Asante Samuel in the second round, or I don't know. Or do you put Chris Orr, line him up on the outside, and give him a shot, Lee? Chris Orr, he's going to make the roster, <laughs> that's for sure. Put Chris Orr, just all, just press him. Press, press, uh, 
Press Michael Thomas. He's just going to match up with Michael Thomas week one. That's what I like to see. All righty, boys. All right. Let's wrap this thing up. I got two cats making a mess behind me. Q stay scheming. Cardboard. Cue it. <laughs>